All right. We're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1. Like I said, I, I really hope that you availed yourself of the opportunity to be blessed by reading that chapter. After we left, uh, between the time we last had our class and this time. I, I can't stress enough, and you know how I stress things in this class. And I cannot stress enough, even for me, how important this is to understand. And we're going to detail it today. Because out of anything and everything that makes up the fulcrum point of history, all of history, all of history is based on this, and among other things in Scripture. But this is so important. You need to understand. And we're also going to talk about our enemy who will use Christians, you know, usurp our will. How does he use us? Well, he'll use Christians who really don't know facts very well. And you know what happens, as you know, because I know it too, it happens in my life. If you don't know the facts solidly, then you're open to somebody else's interpretation for you. And especially as we grow up, like many of you have grown up as Christians or some of you who've started in midlife like I have as Christians, you automatically have a, a bent to believe those who are in quote-unquote authority over you, right? So if someone is a pastor or a preacher, and I'm not saying this church, I'm just saying anywhere, either in, even at work, if there's someone over you that has authority over you or authority over what you do, you just automatically, because it's human nature, take what they say as truth, or you're more prone to take what they say as truth. Does that make sense? The problem is then is unlearning what you think you already know. And believe me, I've had to do a lot of that. I've had to, you know, <laughs> I've had to do a lot of it, and I still don't like it. But the point is, is that the, what, what happens is, against what this actually says, and why we're going to detail it today, because there are so many Christians who have no clue, and I mean no clue, or if they have a clue, it's the wrong clue of what Israel is, who she is in history. And they may think, oh, my Savior was a Jew. Okay. And I've heard of an instance, at least one, that I've heard of from somebody who heard it. Uh, this woman came to a pastor, this is many, many years ago now, and said, you know, I, I know who Jesus is and I know, you know what Christianity is all about, right? But she says, I'm just having a hard time respecting a Savior who's Jewish. Hmm? That's a Christian. Now, I don't think I have ever heard that. I mean, in fact, I know I haven't heard that myself because I would have been an awestruck right there. But what I do hear from, from certain Christians, again, nobody in this room and nobody in this church so far except an inkling from a couple of people, not in this room, so don't start. It's not me. It's not me. Their opinion of Israel is not that high. They've been poisoned by the world's opinion of Israel. They've been poisoned. There are some Christians or people who think they're Christians, and I'll give you one, Jimmy Carter, who started this stuff with the Shah of Iran, and I'm not going to go into history, you should know, because that's not so long ago, who right now, who says that the Palestinians are right in, in wanting that land back, and he calls himself a Christian. And it gets me angry. You know, a lot of things get me annoyed, but that's just the way I am. But when it comes, <laughs> ask my wife, or she's not here, okay? So like I always say, don't ask my wife, because she will tell you. But my point is this. It's good to get annoyed at those who oppose the truth and to be ready to give an answer at those who think they know the truth but do not because to their own peril they hurt God's glory. Because we're gonna, I'm going to read, you're going to read yourselves today what God thinks about Israel and who your Messiah is and who her Messiah is and who he comes from. And if you and I do not believe what God's plan is for Israel, that all of Israel will be saved. That means I mean every person. But all of Israel, the remnant of Israel, all of how God chooses, and I don't know, we're not privy to that, but I guarantee you Israel has a place in eternity. 
And certainly, we don't know what that is, but I'll certainly tell you, Israel has a place from here to the end of this dispensation, which terminates in Jesus Christ coming back as the king of Israel, the king of the Jews in the millennium, and then turning everything over to God the Father after he takes his rightful place as first king of the Jews. See, right now he's our savior, and he's the coming king of the Jews. He's not the king of the Jews yet. That's why Israel is still having problems and she is under judgment, severe judgment. But God is not finished with her. Did I make that clear enough? If you hear this from any Christians, you have to determine how you're going to deal with that. If you deal with it at all, that's, a, that's, a, that's contextual in the relationship between you and that person. Let, make sure it, peaks, it better pique your interest because I guarantee you there's something wrong with, with their theology. I guarantee it. Anybody who does not understand Israel and, and her place in God's economy when Scripture says it so clearly, they do not know. And I'll tell you, I've talked to people who are truly Christians. They're great people. They're good Christians. They do their work in the Lord and they come to church and they do all, but their theology is messed up. Hey, I was like that too. So I'm not saying it's absolutely horrible, but be ready to give an answer. To be ready in the context of the relationship with that Christian, of your relationship, if they're, if they're a husband, wife, sister, brother, or close friend, or just an acquaintance, it's always the relationship that sets the context and how you can offer correction or help in understanding God's Word, right? That's the way it is. But you yourselves, I must know what we're talking about. So, having spent a lot of time prefacing this to make sure we understand what we're about to read, please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and verse 1. This covenant is a divine confirmation of the throne of Israel and the perpetuity of the dynasty, eternally set in the line of King David. In this, what we're going to read here, God makes it clear that David's dynasty will endure, not just temporarily, but forever. And God himself, watch, these are God's words we're going to read right now. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, this is David, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Remember I told you, David was prospering. He was absolutely prospering. He was conquering his enemies. And now he's got a breathing room to say and to realize and sit back and know how blessed he has been. And he, he's now contemplating on what God has done through him and for him. And now God is going to seal that up in showing his favor on David. Just watch, and his plan. So he settled in. And so in this, in this mode of, of thought, in this mode of being, in verse 2, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now remember, the, the ark of God was still in that house yet, right? Okay. So Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Now I want you to see what's happening here. God is speaking through the prophet Nathan, which is a close confidant of David. David gets his spiritual direction from God through Nathan. God, he also has a relationship directly with God, but God chooses sometimes to use a, a close prophet to do this. The context is already set here. Nathan already replied at the outset of David telling him that he wants to build a house for God. This is an honorable thing. Do whatever it is you want to do. But that night, God qualifies exactly what this is supposed to be like, how this is supposed to roll out, because Nathan has no clue yet. He just said it's a good thing. Go and do it. Verse 5. Go, this is now God talking directly to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Is there any doubt? No. Are you the one to build a house, uh, to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt 
to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pastor and from the... Now, think of this. Think of God telling you, or me, through either somebody else, but nowadays it's directly. We have no prophet. We have a direct line to God, right? The Holy of Holies, that the veil has been rent. We have a direct line. So God will talk to your heart and tell you specifically this directly to you. So imagine, now, not that any of you or I or King David or anything like that, but God does talk to our hearts and tells us things that he's going to do for us and through us, right? Remember, God has said, those who humble themselves, I will exalt. Now, that does not mean that he's going to exalt you to the position of, the, of, the, of what I like to say, the, just the doorkeeper in heaven will be good enough for me. You know what? That's, that's false humility. You and I are in training. Did I say that before? Now he's going to review the preparations he's given David because he has chosen him for this. He's reviewing now what Nathan is to tell David because David needs to understand the whole, again, I love this word, context of his life. He has been hand-selected by God. Oh, by the way, you have been hand-selected by God. Hand-picked. Hand-picked. If you act and I act like we're not hand-picked, we've got the problem. And God may not use us as much as we think He should or as much as He would like to. And we, I think, personally, after reading all of the Scripture and what we're going to read now, if we don't answer God's call because we're too humble, you know what? I think God is going to be a little annoyed at that. And I think that's going to affect our judgment when we go to the judgment, because we're still going to get judged. you realize that? Not unto death. But we do have an appointment at the throne. And we will, at the rapture, during the time of the tribulation, we will be up there celebrating at the marriage supper of the land. But we will, make no mistake about this, we will give an account for everything that we did here. And by the way, everything that we should have done and didn't, and everything that we did do which we shouldn't have done and did. Not unto death. But if you read Scripture as I read Scripture, it says that some people will be only saved because of Jesus Christ alone. And then, at that point, they'll barely be making it through this trial. Okay? So don't take the coming judgment lightly. There are plenty of Christians, there are too many Christians, in my opinion, that think, I'm saved, I'm good. No, you're saved, but you're going you're gonna to be looking at the things you would have had as reward. And we don't know what that is. We, we're really barely looking through a glass darkly, right? So the reason why I'm saying that I want, as we read here, to understand that God has the same intent, not the same plan as David, but the same intent for his plan for you and for me. And it's to your peril and my peril, honestly, if we do not understand what that is in our direct relationship with him. And do it! and thank Him for it, and be in awe of that we can be what He wants us to be, and do it boldly and proudly, and proclaim Him boldly and proudly, and not be shrinking violence. Not, not everybody has to be like me or David, but you have to be like you. And God gave you, so there are Christians who have been around for years, and they still don't know what their gift is. I don't know what my gift is, because you haven't tried anything. And then you try, oh, I'm not good at it, I'm not good at it. Well, you're defeating yourself. You think that's what God wants? It does not. So, having said all of that, and then with that intensity, with that mental focus, I want you to continue reading with me. David, he says, start again in verse 8. I took you from the pasture and from, the fo from following the flock, a very lowly position, to be ruler over my people Israel. 
I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies, enemies from before you. Now I will make your name mediocre. If I might, I might for all of that now, David, doing all of this for you, I might make you a doorkeeper in the gates of heaven. No, he says, I will make your name great. This is what he's saying to David. What if he said that to you? And you say, no, 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 no. I got too many problems in life. I got, I got, I got, I got this in my family. I, no, I got a broken leg. I got a busted back. I got diabetes. I can't do anything for you. When he's saying, I will make your name great. I'm not saying he, I don't know what he's going to say to you. But I'm telling you, I know what he says to me, at least in a little part. And I'm more open to it now because I had to go through some things that he was making sure that, well, I got spanked. I told you this. And I am the man I am today because I got spanked pretty hard. And I consider it an honor that God cared enough to me, for me, to not just let me go and, and do whatever I was going to do for him. He kept on saying, no, I want you to do this. And I kept on saying, well, I really appreciate that, but nah. You get what I'm saying? You, you do not understand that unless you've been through it. And I want you to know it's important. God wants you to be ready to be exalted in the right way and at the right time. Especially now. We've got the whole world against us. You think they're against Israel. Wait till Israel is attacked. Because right now, we're next. You know what they say, right? Destroy the Jews on Saturday and the Christians on Sunday. And then they'll destroy themselves after we're gone. That's what they want to do. They're not going to do it, but that's what they want. Now I will make your, your name great. Like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will, like the names of the greatest men on the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. That's not the case right now for her, is it? But it will be. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies, from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you, you rest with your fathers, I will listen to this. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. Sounds like lineage to me, doesn't it? And I will establish his kingdom. Now, if you look at this, it's seed from his own body. Multiple children, right? It's just especially, you know, from the male side of the thing. But, but you notice how the, the, the context changes from, from seed or, or from your own body to his kingdom. Now, we know that Solomon was his son. But he's not really talking about Solomon per se. And I kind of stumbled on that last time we were here together because I didn't prepare you for really what it was. But listen, to, listen, listen. This is the crux of who Messiah is. And we're going to detail this because David knew. When Nathan finally told him this, David knew exactly, exactly who God was talking about, even though he'd never met him yet because he hadn't been born a man yet. Right? Because who is the God of the Old Testament? Jesus Christ. He's the spokesman. I will raise up for you an offspring that will succeed you, who will come from your own body and will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name. Now we know that Solomon did that, right? But who in actuality is building a house for his name? That's right. But his house is who? Who's the house he's building? Us. Yes. You see the duality here? It's easy to see because we understand that. 
But a Jew reading this would never understand that. They'd be a little confused. Matter of fact, we will find out later in Matthew and Luke and other places that they're kind of confused. He said, he's, okay, so I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Wait a minute. He can't be talking about Solomon unless he's talking about a heuristics here, right? And I'll be your father. He's our father. Fine. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, as you already said, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men. I will use judgment of men against him. He's talking about the cross. The cross is a Roman invention, right? And it was predicted that Jesus would die hanging on a tree way before the methodology of the crucifixion was even invented. Did you know that? I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. What was done to Jesus before they hung him on that cross? He was beaten savagely. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure for a few minutes, for a couple weeks, for a few years, forever before me. Your throne will be established. Say it. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Now imagine David's heart, because if this didn't bring a tear to your eyes, then you don't know what, David, what he just told David. Now imagine if you were David. Now you've just told this, and you sit, and you're in awe of this God who just reviewed everything in your life and told you the future of you. And this is what he says. This is the man who is going to be totally exalted, right, among men among lineage that through which Jesus Christ will take the throne. I want you to see how humble he is. Remember, those who are humble will be exalted, but those who are prideful will be abased, right? So listen to this man. We'll see how humble David is. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O Sovereign Lord? Have you ever asked that when God blesses you? Is this your usual day of dealing with scum like me? <laughs> what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord. He searches his heart, and David knew it, just like he searches ours. And when he opens my heart, he finds a bunch of garbage in there. And yet, he's still got a plan for me that I'm finding wonderful, wonderful. Take advantage of that, folks. Take advantage of it. You're destined for it. Whatever it is God wants you to do, you better do it and stop wallowing. Tell you. I'm telling you, I'm the poster boy. Okay, I'm not the poster boy, but I've done it. You don't see me wallowing anymore. I am absolutely confident in my God and what he wants, at least some part, from me. And when I resolve to follow that, that's what David's doing. You can do it in confidence. Don't worry about what everybody else says. You do what you're supposed to do, right? But listen to this. O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will. Oh, for the sake of your word and according to make sure that whatever you said to glorify you, right, that you will, it will be done. You have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel? Who is like your people, Israel? Are they going to be discarded? Mm -mm. The one nation on earth, the one nation, one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, O oh Lord, have become their God. Is that clear enough? 
There's no coded uh, uh, prophecy here, isn't there? There's no uh, parabolic uh, discussion here, is it? The Bible's full enough of that stuff, isn't it? But this ain't no parable. Right. Verse 27. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage. Your servant has found courage. Do you say that? When you know God is telling you to do something and is preparing you? I do. And that's not blasphemous to say that. Because he's saying right here in his humbleness, he's awestruck at God. And he says, your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. That ain't no joke, is it? That's the crux of history, folks, right there. And that's why I read it with such intensity. I'm intense anyway, but we have to understand this is the crux, the fulcrum of history. If this is not true, then none of this works. So we're going to figure out and make sure we know it's true. Okay? And that's how we're going to wrap up the book of Samuel. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Okay? The key point here, Israel has had some very bad kings. If you know history at all, and we're going to see this as we go on because we're really getting into the kingship. And you know that the, the, uh, the nation splits right after Solomon. And then you know, we also go into the, the captivity of Babylon, the Babylonian captivity. There's a lot of has been done right after this. So Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 1. So there's a lot of issues here that, that we haven't seen yet. So, yes, they, but this is a promise. It's just that there's a time when something is promised, right? But there is also a time when it's fulfilled. Some promises are done right away. Some promises take time. Like David, God reviewed, you know, I promised you all these things even before I told you. You were in training before you even knew who really I was. Remember when, when, when he was so angry with God because God killed Uzzah when he touched the ark? Then he had it the second time and it worked out fine. Well, God already had all of this plan for David, but David was still in training. He did not know. He was ignorant. But he didn't just plead ignorance. He got angry. He got over it. He learned what he was supposed to do, or at least he did it the right way and not his own way, because I still think he knew what the right thing was, because then he assigned a person from a Levitical priesthood to take care of it. Remember I proved that to you? So it's not that he did this out of ignorance. Oh, he's like you and me. And he was a bloody man, so he's worse than you and me in many cases as far as sin goes, as far as human nature goes, and is leaning toward it. Okay. And as I was saying before, sadly, there are many Christians and churches today who do not believe in this covenant. They really don't understand it, and they may not really believe it, although they'll never admit it. They don't really understand it. Now we understand it. But this is a major problem because it leads to the blasphemous belief that the church has replaced Israel. Have you ever heard of that? The church has replaced Israel? <coughs> That's blasphemous. That's a slap in the face to the God of Israel and the God of Christians. You know, Jesus Christ himself. It's a slap. This covenant is still intact and stronger than ever, and we're going to see it fulfilled. We've got about 10 minutes left, so we're going to go through this. I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to seek to wrap up here proving, proving, because Scripture has to prove. If Scripture doesn't prove it, then it's not being proved, right? The key is that you have to know Scripture well enough to find it. And that's what your job and my job is. There are too many Christians going around who don't prove Scripture. They just know the New Testament, and they're happy with love, love, love. We've talked about this, and I'm glad you're here. I am honored that you're here. Because, believe me, when I started understanding the things I understand, it's only by the grace of God and only because He wanted me to do this with this, I guess. But I'll tell you what, I have learned to take none of this lightly, as you can see. 
And that's why my passion is to share it. And I'm glad you're here because there are so many others who should be in a class like this. And I'm nobody. <laughs> but look what God has, has given me to know. And I, I just am floored by it. And I want to make sure you understand it with the thrust and, 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 and the, that's given me. I mean, this is my life. This is your life. Okay, so Matthew, there were four Gospels, right? Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. Oh, right, okay. We, we understand, did I say that right? Yes. I, I think I said Mahjong, but that's a game. I need some more coffee. Maybe I don't need much coffee. Maybe I should lay less coffee. Okay, we've got to move a little quickly here. There are four Gospels. Remember why I said there are four Gospels? Why are there four Gospels? Right, there were four key requirements to prove Messiah. Messiah had to fulfill every single one of them. Not five, not three, not six, not ten, not two, right? Matthew seeks to prove, which is what we're talking about right here, Messiah had to be first and foremost king of the Jews. Then, of course, he had to be a human being. And then he had to be God. All four Gospels, they had to be a servant, too. So he had to be a, a, the king, the, the Jews, the servant, right? Man and God. And each, each of uh, the Gospels has a, a lineage to prove it, except for one. Which one does not have a lineage? The book of Mark. Mark. And that is, that's right. No one cares where a servant comes from. They care what a servant does. By the way, isn't that for us as Christians? There is no Jew, nor Greek, nor Gentile when you're in Christ, is there? No one really cares where I come from. If I happen to be Jewish, I have a head start because I already have it in my DNA. I already may know the Old Testament somewhat. But even if I'm not, I can have what the Jews gave me, what Jesus Christ paid. So to me, if I may have a head start or not, I don't have a head start. It doesn't matter. I can be a servant, and it doesn't matter where I come from. That's what we are as a church, right? Okay. So if you look at it, let's start reading. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. A record of the genealogy of who? Jesus Christ. The son of? Abraham. And the son of? Abraham. Okay. If you go down to verse 6, it, it, you have this lineage, and I'm not going to get through all of these names. I don't, you know I, I butcher names anyway. Can you imagine me trying to read this? And it, it, it's non sequitur to the conversation. But I can say King David. I can say that. I can even say Jesse. I have a friend whose name is Jesse, so I can say that. Jesse. <laughs> but if we look at, let's go down to verse 5. If you look, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz. Remember, we detailed Boaz, right? Ruth and Boaz. Remember we detailed that story? We showed that, that was, at the end of the book it even says that this will be the line through which Messiah came. right? Um, whose mother was Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed because we know that Obed was the father of Jesse who was the father of David. Okay, So we know the context here. And it says David was the father of Solomon and then it keeps going down. So we know the lineage here. If you go back down to, the, to uh, chapter 16, I'm uh, sorry, verse 16, of Matthew 1, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. Now, it's a little confusing, isn't it? Because it's, it's putting Joseph in here. Was Joseph the father of Jesus? No. But this is the kind of the proof, quote unquote, proof text that others might use to say, you see, Jesus really isn't the son of God. He wasn't really born of a virgin because the, it goes back to the lineage of Joseph. Really? Do you understand why? Well, no, I don't. I don't have to understand why. His Bible says it right here. Maybe you, do, maybe you don't really know what you're talking about. I don't say it like that, politely. But just because you read something in Scripture doesn't mean you get it. I know that. <laughs> so we have to parse this. We have to look at it. So that's what we're going to do. Knowing especially that the book of Matthew seeks to prove who Messiah is as far as being king of the Jews. Right? It has to be a lineage back to the, this Davidic covenant. So I'm just going to read this to you. You can stay where you are. 
But in Luke chapter 1, verse 29 to 33, even Gabriel announced to Mary that her son would be in the line of, of the Davidic covenant. Which I'm sure she knew of what that was. She was a Jew. She knew the Old Testament. She knew it very well. And she was chosen. So I'm going to read this to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So right away, it's even proving more, maybe, that Joseph is in the lineage of, of David, of, of Jesus Christ. Back to David. That's not too good, because this is not what the Davidic covenant talks about, especially if, if Jesus was born as a virgin. But it says it right here. You see how erroneous, uh, on, on, not erroneous, but on an er erroneous path you can get on if you don't know what you're talking about? Okay, so we've got to prove this now. Married to Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin, Mary, the virgin name was Mary, and yada, yada, yada. That doesn't say that. I just paraphrase that. There's, I think, I don't know, I think the Jewish transliteration is still yada, yada, yada. Never mind. <laughs> sounds Jewish anyway. Sounds, he, yeah, Yiddish. <laughs> Yiddish, that's <laughs> So in verse 32, this is now Gabriel talking to Mary about Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So we know that. So here we have a problem. I'm going to read you something very quickly here. You can turn there if you want, but I've got to go through it because we have about five minutes left. Okay? Or well, we're going, to take, we're going to take 10. Forget 10. He started me late today. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 5. I'm going to read here. Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim was the 21st king in the line of total, a total of 43 kings. I'm not talking about the unified kingdom or the, you know, the divided kingdom. And I'm just saying, in the whole line of the experience of Israel from beginning to now, there have been 43 kings. He was the 21st in line. So this is, this is quite a distance away from David, right? But, but here's the point. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he resigned, sorry, he reigned, he resigned, he did resign, you're going to find out how. Uh, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. So remember, Jehoiakim, 23rd king, ain't doing too good. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles take him to Babylon. Now remember in the Davidic covenant we talked about where God says, and I will use the rod of man to, to, to spank him, to spank these, you know, that we know is, is talking about Jesus. But he also does that to spank Israel too, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, you know who Nebuchadnezzar is? Okay, so now Jehoiakim who did evil in God's sight, now God is going to use Nebuchadnezzar to do something here. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, so Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. Ooh, not too good. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon artifacts from the temple of the Lord and put them in there with his temple. Now, there you talk about blasphemy, right? And remember, Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem three times before he totally destroyed that temple and took them out. Did I say something? No. Can I jump it? <laughs> I'm just convicted. That's right. I don't mean to insult. I'm just convicted. I keep on telling it to people. They don't believe it. So listen. So Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Judah at the time, the southern kingdom, of, uh, after the, after the, the uh, division of the, of the uh, United Kingdom in, his, in Jehoiakim's third year, but allowed Jehoiakim to still reign as king over Israel under Nebuchadnezzar as a vassal king. Okay? So now, this king, who was evil in God's sight, is now sort of in command, but as a puppet to Nebuchadnezzar, which makes him worse. I'd rather see him gone. You get, get what I'm saying here? You can read about this, by the way, in 2 Kings chapter 23, and it tells you all about him. 
So in, the, in this 11th year, the Babylonian army now besieged Jerusalem once again, the second time. And this time, because Jehoiakim decided, remember he was this vassal king, and it was the vassal king or the vassal state. He decided, well, you know what, maybe I really shouldn't be doing this. I am the king that God put over this. So he says, I'm not going to really, uh, you know, roll up to anymore, Nebuchadnezzar. Wrong thing to do. Uh, the Babylonian army seized and killed Jehoiakim, dragged his body out of the gate of Jerusalem, and disgracefully discarded it without proper burial. They just took him and threw him out into the dust. That's disgraceful. But I want you to know something. That God planned for him because, and here's a point. I'm going to read this. In Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 18, I'm just going to read, so just listen. This is what the Lord said predicting Jehoiakim's death because he was an evil king. Remember, we're getting to prove that the line for Jesus does not go through David's lineage back, I mean, through, through Joseph's lineage back to David, right? It can't. So proving this is the, the crux of the matter right here. And that's why you have to know these things to be able to answer to it. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, son of jo Josiah, king of Judah. Listen to what he says. They will not mourn for him, Jehoiakim. Alas, my brother, alas, my sister. They will not mourn for him. Oh, alas, my master, alas, his splendor. He will, not, he will have, listen to this, the burial of a donkey dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. Isn't that exactly what happened? So, Jehoiakim's 18-year-old son, Jehoiachin, also called Kaniah, was now installed as the next king of the vassal state. When Nebuchadnezzar arrived, this naive son of Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, brought his family out to meet the Babylonian king and was promptly taken prisoner. <laughs> his family was deported to Babylon, so now they took him too. Jeremiah's, Jeremiah records God's curse upon Jehoiachaniah and his lineage. Now, remember, it's father and son, right? Listen to this. In Jeremiah 22, uh, verse uh, 24, and onward a little bit. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those who fear, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Babylonians. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you will both die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. They just say that the whole, that the whole thing is outed now, right? They're out of the line of the kingship. They're not coming back. And there's more here. But it says here, Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 30, this is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless. Ooh, there goes the lineage part, right? Mm -hmm. A man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none, none, none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David. It says it right here or rule anymore in Judah. Okay? That's it for now. We're going to wrap up next week with just two scriptures, just a couple of scriptures to prove in the New Testament because we just really, I'm really pushing it now. Do you see the proof right here? That the line still continues through these kings. David, right, all the kings. Still, especially when, when, the, when the, um, the nation splits. Remember, it's Judah that's the focal point, Correct? So Judah is now to the south after the nation splits after Solomon. And, and you know, the, the, the northern kingdom is its own separate thing. They had no clue of worshiping in Jerusalem or anything. They really were just considered dogs, you know, as in Samaria. We know that. 
So the line is still coming through the kings of Judah, which Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin were part of. But you'll notice the line stops dead at that point. You see it right here. So we know. And if you look at the lineage to Joseph, it comes through the lineage of these guys. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up next week to show you where the lineage picks up again. And that's how we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. And the reason, I'm going to wrap it up next week, with the reason why Scripture puts it as if Joseph is in the line of, of David, of, of Jesus back to David, there's a reason, and you have to understand Judaism to know what that is. We're going to talk about that next week. Okay? Believe me, our, our trip through 2 Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, is be pretty short because really those just describe pretty much what we talked about as far as these kings go. But Have a great week, everybody.